Well, hi everyone and welcome back to Crosswise. It's James here and you're listening to the Variety Tech Podcast that covers everything old, new, interesting, very interesting and just sometimes me and Jay chatting to each other. But this week we have two, yes, two fantastic guests. Although I'm not sure about that from the pre-show. Um, we're going to be taking a trip back in time a la TARDIS into the 90s to when... Now, don't have a you know, don't panic, folks. When you used to have to use a modem and a phone line to access the internet, so please welcome my guests, and I'll let you two find it out who wants to go first to int- properly introduce themselves. But Phil and Stu Ashby, hello, hello, I'm Stuart. Hello, I'm Phil. He goes I'm first. The older one. <laughs> How long by? Uh, 25 minutes 25 yeah. minutes okay so of course we're insinuating Phil, Phil and, and Stuart are, are twins and I think that's going to cause some fun and games on this episode I'm, I'm from reading the notes that you two have put together this is going to be fun <laughs> so Phil, both of you I mean so tell us a little bit about yourself because obviously this is one of those episodes where I did my oh they sound interesting off the back of someone else's toot let me DM them and see if they'd be up for coming on the show because honestly when I saw so it came off the back of the the 25th anniversary Valve Half-Life video yeah. and a mention of a very interesting older technology but we'll come to that so gentlemen do you want to introduce yourselves okay I'm going to let Stuart go first this time <laughs> hey throw me under the bus thanks guys hi I'm Stuart um, I'm his brother um, I'm the little brother um, as you heard we're going to do a bit of history in the past, and as we go on with this, uh, just a brief introduction to me at the moment. I am happily retired, actually. Um, so I managed to managed to finish the grind and the day job, and get out and spend more time with the family and the kids and helping out around the, around the village and place. Awesome! No, I, I like the idea of one day being happily retired. Well, I think <laughs> that'll take a while. It was hard work getting there, uh, but you'll, you'll hear more about that later. <laughs> and Phil, the older brother. Oh, yeah, I'm the sensible one that had six children from the age of 20 to 36. Completely sensible. Ooh. Very sensible, yeah. God knows how we got any video gaming in, <laughs> or the day job for that matter. Um, yes, so we've had very different lives um, from that point onwards. We grew up together completely like that until we were 20. Then we had slightly different experiences at university, and then we got taken pictures together at our graduation where we got the same result in the same degree from the same university and went to work for the same firm which scared the bejesus out of uh, the folks at bt because this hadn't really happened to them before so <laughs> they were not ready for us <laughs> no we got a nice picture on the front page of the in-house magazine though yeah that's cool so that was nice um i'm also happily retired we were having a bit of a competition and Stuart got out a year before i did so he did win that competition. Um, <laughs> we, I think it's the only thing I've won. Mm, okay. We'll pass on that. <laughs> so there we go. Um, so I'm thoroughly enjoying being a, grand, a parent and a grandparent right now. Um, been doing that for quite a while. My oldest is 34. Um, my youngest is 21. He's the last one still at home. Um, this is not his bedroom, by the way. That's <laughs> This is a grandchild's spare bedroom. So that, that that's the big teddy bear for the grandchild to hug when they go to bed. Um, yeah. So li- life's been quite different. So, yes, uh, life's been quite different for us um, as adults. 
adults. What's an adult? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> well, so one half of life's very different because from the family side of them, we've had very different sort of trajectories. Um, I should say I'm, I'm also dad, um, but my two are uh, 10 and 12 right now, soon to be 11 and 12. So yeah, different life stages in terms of adulting. Um, but yeah, adulting is boring and not fun. So, hey. <laughs> oh, easy boy. Oh, <laughs> um, Oh yeah, and this, this is not deliberately say we look different. I just sort of I did the November thing for a few years, and about four years ago, this one stuck. So, you know, yeah, it won't come off. No, we tried. No, no, Mike. Uh, <laughs> so you're not the you're not the evil twin, man. <laughs> oh, that's definitely me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm the angel on the shoulder. He's the devil on the shoulder. <laughs> Bear that in mind for later. <laughs> All right, that's enough about us. So you both work for BT now. For our non-UK listeners, BT, I don't know where... I get very confused where things stand now, but it used to stand for British Telecom. Uh, Always has been British Telecommunications, PLC, oh. since 1984. Oh. Prior to that, it was Post Office Telecommunications um, ah. until they got farmed out. They traded as BT, British Telecom, um, the lovely Busby. Everyone uh, should go and look up Busby at some point. At go and find the Busby advert. They're hilarious. Who thought that was a clever brand idea? And Maureen Lippman in all the adverts as well. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Oh, also the right balls up, the logo, the T with the two dots. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we'll you work that one out as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've just, I've just figured that one out. Yeah, I've just figured that one out. We we'll have to put a link to that logo somewhere. <laughs> anyway, yes. So we both joined BT from university uh, in different departments. That's where we finally got to separate. So I went off to work for the speech applications division. Sad. And Stuart went to. Um, I went to work for the radio communications division because um, I was the nerd that did radio engineering and, and weird stuff like that, that nobody understands how it works. Um, it's Six, just, it's 60 just gigahertz stuff yeah. powered by optical fiber at one point, which was impressive and cool and never shit. Yeah. No, my, mine, was, mine was definitely research, research, um, sort of uh, engineering, um, which was never going to get out of the door. And I joined the team developing Coolminder, which subsequently became 1571. Anybody who does 1571 on your phone, it's mostly his fault. <laughs> Hang on, 1571 one, is... Oh, that's the voice voice So you were, you were on the team doing the early versions of that. I was, I was on a team that was doing uh, more esoteric things, um, at least in about 1989, 1990, when we started esoteric, which was distribution of video by microwave radio transmissions um something which never really took off as a terrestrial sort of service but very quickly established itself as a satellite mechanism so we just borrowed the satellite tech and tried to use it for local distribution so um if anybody lives in the area around bt labs at martlesham um, you may remember weird aerials being stuck up on poles and a couple of dozen people's houses um that was for receiving my television picture <laughs> That was as far as that, that, that lab experiment ever really got. Um, but I got to drive the van around and um, put antennas in other people's houses. So that was cool. <laughs> I 
I also got to learn how television actually worked, which came in useful for later in life. So that was handy. It is incredible. You, you know, you think of of BT where they are now, and we can, we can talk about that a little bit later. And you think of all this sort of a groundbreaking work they did back in the day. And again, just to give context for our non UK listeners, I, is it fair to say that for the majority of the last hundred or so years, I don't. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get basically BT have been our telephone provider in the uk national service up until 1984 then privatized uh, but still majority provider of telephones in your homes yeah. yes because the privatization really applied more to the business side didn't you you'd have they weren't really competitors in the telecoms business for at least a decade after after bt was officially a private company um, as you say in the business sector there was more going on in the in the in the the poor bloke in the street sector, nobody wanted to touch like plebs just using phones. So <laughs> there was no money. Nobody wants right. to dig up streets um, and put wires in. Yeah, um, and not really until the advent of cable TV and the rollout of those kind of services did we really see any significant competition in that area. Well, that's what I was going to say. I remember that I just have a, a memory of relatives switching to cable telephone oh we're getting our new cable telephone number next week oh you won't be able to reach us on the old one you'll have to relearn a new number oh number portability yeah that that came in a bit later when when they realized that came that much much later than you should have done yeah remember that happened with emails next nick it still does happen with email always get your own email domain guys <laughs> yeah rule one yeah. vanity oh, domains get your own domain too. Oh, use it for everything that you do <laughs> yeah. yes yeah, and, and please, folks, if you're running a legitimate business, at, at gmail.com or at hotmail.com is no. not a good look. <laughs> Don't do it. No. <laughs> it's on the back of so many vans that you see in the street, isn't it? It really is. Like, Some come on. really complicated thing with 1974 at outlook.com <laughs> at the end of it. Like, what? <laughs> so now I know when you were born, right? <laughs> I've probably got one of the answers to your security questions. <laughs> not me, buddy. <laughs> Oh, it, there's possibly, yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. there's, yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, so the reason we're talking about all this is because looking back at the 90s, and I have vague memories of this, we're looking back at when internet access was a new, shiny, exciting thing. Yes. Sarcasm mode disabled. Um, no, really, so- it was. <laughs> Hey, Gen Zs, there was a time when the internet didn't really exist. (laughs) Unless you were at a university and you were lucky. (laughs) Indeed. One of the five nodes. (laughs) Yeah. Now, because for for us, as you used the term plebs earlier, our experiences on the internet, I mean, this is my, you know, me, you know, early teens getting on the internet with Demon Internet. That was my first ISP was Demon. Ah, you were a Demon customer. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. De- they were great. They were, I mean, we had no problems. I can't, I think the modem, well, I mean, you'll skip, uh, our, my first modem was a, U, I think a US Robotics. Now, is it 30, was it 33.6? Yeah. Well remembered. Yes. Do you want to know all the numbers? Yes. <laughs> Don't go oh, there. <laughs> well, you see, the only thing I remember is when, when we went to 56K, we got a little bit extra in the dialing. Yeah, there's an extra yeah. step in the negotiation to which you can still hear it do. Um, it's it's quite weird, actually. There's so many like YouTubers and TikTok videos and stuff use the modem training negotiation audio clip for various different like meme-style jokes. But yeah, it's weird keeping, keeping on hearing that because I'm absolutely sure 98% of the people that use that clip 
don't know what it is. No. So, again, for our younger audience members, you used to have to plug the modem into your computer via, usually via this thing called a serial port. It's USB, but way, way slower. <laughs> way slower and much easier to break because if you broke one of those little nine or maybe 25 pins, you were, you know, you were getting your screwdriver out trying to put it back. And then you'd plug that into your phone line and dial a number to get on the internet. And it was not exactly fast. How far back with no. connecting to stuff by modems do you want to go? I mean, you, you, you asked us, what was I the mean, first modem you had? Uh, mine was a 14K4. I don't know whether it was a USR or somebody else. I can't remember the brand now, but it was definitely, we started at 14K modem um, when I was at home. However, prior to that, at sixth form, where we both were, there was a lower tech solution that was in the headmaster's office connected to the research oh, no. machines 380z remember this running cpm with pip <sighs> yeah i've still got the floppy i've disc forgotten up. all about that i've got a floppy disk upstairs eight inch floppy that was it's great that was an acoustic coupler 300 boards to oh, Hatfield yes. college i can't remember what I used to do in it but it wasn't a lot <laughs> well hatfield was a node on janet yes joint academic network where the universities yeah. were connected together in the early 80s yeah. that would have yeah. been 83 84 yeah so your school was one of a few that didn't go with it go with a bbc micro event because no that was interesting yeah. um so where we were at sixth form uh was a different school to where we'd previously been for secondary school uh, you can explain the uk school system for people <laughs> later <James. laughs> yeah i can try, We're not going I there. Can try. um anyway <laughs> Uh, the, the 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 17 to 18 year old bit the last couple of years sixth form we went to a different school um and they had a network uh they had a research machines 380z running cpm they had a cupboard full of zx81s some of which weren't broken <laughs> some of them were broken um uh, we used to teach people to program on them in, in lunchtime computer club uh, of course, oh, wow. we used to run it together. <laughs> but most of the time, we'd loiter out in the room at the back on the 380Z trying to get it to play cool games. Nice. We we really need to do an episode. I need to find some people to do an episode. Because I, I am too young to have experienced the ZX era, the BBC Micro. My primary school had a BBC Master. Oh, yeah. But I never experienced that. That... Um, the computer literacy program era of computing. I, I missed out on all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just to set a bit of context here, the first time that Phil and I ever actually touched a computer was math lessons in what used to be called year three. Um, I'm going to have to do some adding up. I don't know whether that is year 11 now. We I think. were 14, 15, um, something like yeah. that. And Probably year, year nine, now, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's all right. I still can't do that bit of math. It still freaks me out. But yes, that was a Commodore pet. And it lived on a trolley. And it was in a locked cupboard. And it used to get wheeled out once a week for each maths class. And the ones that were good, uh, been, uh, been behaving themselves all week, got to write some computer programs. It was used as a reward. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. Um, prior to that... Um, Back to Hatfield College, we used to write programs on paper cards and send them off in the post. With a pencil so you could fix it and then post them off. And three weeks later, you'd get a printout. So the debug cycle was painful. <laughs> three weeks long. <laughs> that actually happened. I, we are that old. <laughs> 
Well, no, it, it's it genuinely, and I didn't know about this until you would. I remember hearing about that, as in that being a, a way that people would, you know, send computer. Um, in there's a, a, a wonderful book, um, Electronic Dreams: How the, How Britain Love How 1980s Britain Love uh, Learned to Love the, yes. uh, the yes. Micro. Wonderful book, and it, that deals. Yeah. That I mean, we could go down a whole minefield of um, press tell. Let's not. <laughs> Again, there's a lot of this. A lot of this that we've experienced. Um, I'm feeling very. I'm feeling refreshingly yeah. young at this Enjoy point. Enjoy the glow um, of youth, James. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you look like when you get here. Okay? <laughs> Please note: the children make no difference to the amount of hair you have. No, it's, it's merely the passage of time. And I'm blaming my granddad for this because he was bored at 35 and so were we. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I think our, view, our, our listeners can be glad this is not a video show. Yeah, the, um, the, so the glare just, would be intolerable. We, look at the squad shop. <laughs> <laughs> there must be a lot of work in After Effects. Um, so, I mean, basically, so you had to dial up. Now, was slow. There was a choice of ISPs, not many, but it was slow and gaming was becoming a thing with games like, you know, so what, we're at this point, what, mid-90s, so we've got games like uh, Doom, Duke Nukem, some of the Euro, because this is, well, this is around the time that the PlayStation launched. Yeah, Yeah, there was was a massive console war kicking off right about now, so there there were uh, many players in that trying to get into that market. As you say, Sony um, were launching the PlayStation range. Um, Sega had the um, the SNES out, and they were. They just, when did the Dreamcast thing happen? That's a little bit later. Sega didn't have the SNES. That was Nintendo. Uh, well, there was Nintendo, <laughs> and Sega were doing the Dreamcast. And my brain's not had enough coffee this morning. <laughs> we need to get ourselves back to Cambridge to the uh, Museum of Computing History. All specialising yes. in games consoles, please go there, everybody. If you're ever in yes, the UK, go and see it. it's amazing. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> it's very cool. absolutely. Actually, I should give it give a quick shout out. By the way, we have an episode in the works for the new series Crosswise Legacy, which is going to be looking at older tech. Mm. But and Matt is on the Dreamcast. But Naoki, who's going to be the co-host on that show, one of them anyway, has just got has just released his video. Of a Dreamcast dev Ooh, kit, the black That's one, incredible. Mm. Yes, <laughs> oh, no, 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 not the black uh, one. No, it's a white one. You're thinking of the, the uh, PlayStation. Um, no, it, was, it was the PS kit that was black, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But for the most part, these were single player games. You might do a bit of what home network play on some of these games over your. Yeah, so they were all they were all developments of the split screen idea, because um, obviously multiplayer was was a way of generating more life out of a game product i mean it's like reading a book if you've read the book you're probably not going to go back and read it that many more times yeah so but if you turn it from a book into a into a playing field to have fun with your mates suddenly you've got much more longevity to your product Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's the, the, the sort of driving essence behind all of this and it still is I mean, for God's sake, look at Minecraft. How long has that been a thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't di- don't I diss Minecraft. Minecraft. I, I love Minecraft. I'm, I'm a no, mod true. dev, okay? <laughs> there you go. I'm a, I'm a mod dev on the, on, the, on the Bedrock version, which nobody did about four years ago. So that was that was. That was I just I just watched all my ch- grown children doing it, it and it, it provides an educational experience and all that stuff so that's good anyway we digress slightly yes um so yeah the, so the split screen thing had happened 
split screen on one TV is a bit naff, um, limits your visual sort of experience a bit, but it's at least a way of trying to do that. Uh, consoles started to grow actual network connections. Um, and obviously the PC industry was just kind of kicking off around this time as well. It was becoming possible to buy things like graphics cards, which were a new thing for the PC industry at the time. So the idea of being able to put multiple machines together into a network to play, a, um, to have a, a shared experience was becoming a thing. Obviously, the idea of, of, of multiplayer gaming had existed for a while, but not in a like a, a a video game context. Interesting in a sort of computer research departments where they were amusing themselves. Those things have been around. So the idea of having multiple people playing with each other had been around for a while. But now there was a technology change that allowed that to actually happen at prices that, that human people could afford. And that left one outstanding major issue, which was you all had to be in the same room with a working bit of coax. Remember coax Ethernet? <laughs> Don't go there either. Yeah. Um, hubs, weren't, hubs weren't a thing, right? That, that um, uh, UTP um, Ethernet cabling kind of wasn't a thing yet. Just happening. But anyway, yeah, so you all had to be in the same room on a LAN. Um, don't forget your 50M terminators. It won't work without them. <laughs> Can I just interject? Never never carry 75 ohm cable in the same van. Uh, yeah, don't do that either. That, 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 that screws this, up this is really not weirdly. <laughs> not a fun experience. So it was that wiring stuff together that, and at that point, students coming out of university had just experienced something vaguely multiplayer and kind of fun playing modern tech tech war thingy thing on their green screen terminals at college late at night and thought they'd bring that into the emerging video game world that they were picking up jobs in or starting companies in so people like john carmack at that point thought why don't we make this multiplayer on lands because people can have lands these days um so you got things like the doom engine back in 93 which for the first time uh, on a popular video game, as opposed to something random in university, had proper networking um, and would run on stuff that you would just plug together and it just worked. And suddenly it was really good fun if you were in the same room. And that persisted for the next five or six years of you had to be in the same Which room. Which usually meant the office after work finished or unfortunately before work finished. So it got a bit of a rep. Do you remember killing everyone's IPX network? Because <laughs> The guys that did this game programming hadn't really considered the side effects of what they might be doing, right? I'm going to spew 600 packets a second onto my Ethernet network, and it's got to talk to four other computers. I'll do this the easy way and make them all broadcast. Goodbye, oh. Office Network. <laughs> so that happens. The fizzing and crackling noises are not fun in the routers. Uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> good fun. Um, yeah. So there was clearly an, an imperative um, to, to try and provide this experience in a way that was a bit more convenient for the average consumer at home. Um, and that coincided with, I suppose, the start of public access internet. As you say, um, modems were a thing. It was becoming affordable. BBS services, bulletin board services. Hello, Gen Z. There's a thing called bulletin boards that you've probably never heard of. Think about it as Reddit, but slower. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I like that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's also people Did we mention Usenet? There wasn't really a browser was kind of a thing, but kind of not yet. And Netscape had only just about started happening. Um, myself and one of my um, one of my grad students when I was at um, at BT Labs in about 91, 92, somewhere around there, um, 
got a version of Netscape in source and compiled it on our HP UX machines because we had HP UX workstations for doing computer-aided design on, which is what we because we were designing integrated circuits on them. Um, they were obviously massive, great, big, expensive things. So we thought, hey, you know, why can't we have some fun with this? So this was so this was our first experience of learning about internet and web browsers and what Tim Berners-Lee had done and da 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 da. So we compiled Netscape from source. Took about three days <laughs> to get the bugs out because HP UX maybe not as POSIX as we thought. <laughs> Um, but hey, we've got the source, so we can fix it. So yeah, so we got that working. Our internet connection at the time was well. Think, think about it. So this is a shock, all right? Here's a little side for you. Um, we're at BT's premier. So we're at the premier research lab for for the country's premier in uh, the telecommunications communications largest business, telco, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's three thousand people here. They're working in all kinds of communi- sorts of communications technologies. There's one internet connection because one guy in the office downstairs was a radio amateur um, and kind of wanted to get his office on the internet so they could have email. Can we have a shout out for Mr. Roger Lorenz? Thank you, Roger. Yep. (laughs) Check that guy out. (laughs) Um, He was the only person in this entire site to have email. This was in about 1990, 91. Yeah. There was no Janet oh. connection. You already would have thought a premier sort of communications lab would at least already be on Janet. There's a bunch of the students coming in here every sort of every every year. There's a bunch of students that that finish degree courses or come in for their summer um, break and are utterly utterly shocked and amazed to discover that what they've got used to at university, like Spark stations, email, web browser, blah, 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 no, dead, doesn't exist in the real world. Sorry, go away. Here's the phone. We had a Vax VMS running yeah, X400. Yeah, yeah. So here's a phone on your desk, right? Here's an IBM PC that we've just bought. We don't know what to do with it yet. <laughs> right? um, it's a 286. Have word on it if you're lucky. Um, and, and if that doesn't work, there's a typing pool downstairs and the lady comes around at three o'clock with teas and, and cakes. Welcome to the premier internet research department of like, what the hell is going on? Previously known as the civil service, by the way. <laughs> so the shock and awe was quite, quite, um, quite substantial. <clears throat> we, made an effort to fix that by throwing a long piece of of of, eth- of, uh, of coaxial cable from the third floor where i was down the building outside because this was not technically legal <laughs> into the window of roger's office right where he had the he had the internet connection right so we ran about a 50 meter cable up to the third floor I ran overnight over over a weekend um we started pulling the ceiling panels down and running cable around above the roof go across the corridor to get to the CAD workstation next door. We actually networked and automated the whole CAD workflow um, in about in about two or three weeks. Speeded up the process <laughs> by about a week because otherwise we'd be writing stuff onto mag tape, walking the mag tape across the site to the um, to the, um, the silicon factory, which was on site um, to get chips made. So yeah, we helped. We got it going a bit. Um, once that had happened, then the students came in, and I was always my student at that point. This guy called Ian went, "What do you mean you don't have a web browser?" <laughs> Hence, the Netscape thing happened. So yeah, that was that was quite good fun. But yeah, uh, the shock that this was just missing. So the idea of BT doing an internet service, like they wouldn't have had a clue. <laughs> really, just amazing. But yeah, this bulletin. So anyway, we did because, that slightly. For, so just yeah. just interject for the longest up until was I remember again in uh, Electronic Dreams just read about how BT or the post office at the time was so guarded about what was allowed to be plugged into a yes. BT socket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still are. Yep. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, there's still regulations that OpenReach publish that say what you're allowed to plug in and what approval type approvals it has to have. Mostly so that you don't take out the public telephone network because it's kind of critical. It is one hopes a bit less sensitive than it used to be these days. Because remember, when they started, they owned everything. So they weren't really safeguards or, or like, you know, um, legal termination points in the network where you could put your own kit in it. That developed over a long period of time. Um, and that's where the idea of the master socket comes from. So that's what that is. It's a legal point, which is a boundary between you and BT or you are the telecoms provider. And they all become European standards quite quickly after that. And there's a big capacitor in there. So in case you do try and stuff mains up, it's, it's going to blow the capacitor up and then the fuse and not kill the rest of the network. <laughs> Somebody thought about that. Somebody tested that. That dodgy yes. Huawei um, open reach modem I've got. You know. um, yeah, we are not opening the tin of Huawei, by the that's way. Not, not, no, <laughs> no, we are not. Oh, no, that's please a whole please do not go there in this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> no, I promise. I we promise. can do a whole other one if you want. <laughs> yeah. anyway back to back to back to a pastor i'm sorry where were we um oh yes um internet bbs's um so yeah so the bulletin board thing had kind of started to happen um you were on demon um i think they were a bbs before they did internet i was on kicks remember them computer internet compulink information exchange yep. oh yes, um, so yes. I was on, they were great phil and i were on um were Kicks customers. Similar things were happening. AOL happened in America. I mean, that was obviously the biggest one at the time. That was a horrible mistake, but you know. Mm. <laughs> right out there with Yahoo and MySpace. Move on. Um, um, yeah, so the whole BBS thing happened. So these things were kind of converging very rapidly at, at that time. Um, somebody in BT had decided that maybe they should get into this internet business not from the point of view that it was going to be a public service or it's going to be useful, or, but I'm sure other people's um, jobs were to think about what to do with this thing. Their primary concern was phone calls last longer. Yeah, this is a critical point, is that at this point, people were using telephones in different ways. So where you would used to previously maybe ring up your mum and chat for half an hour, you would start using, if people got a bit more ways to how to save money. So they would prearrange with their mum that if it rings twice and then I hang up, that means I'm coming around for tea. Not quite like that, but people would start using the phone network in more cost-effective ways like that. Let's be polite. And phone calls were generally shorter, so someone would ring up and go, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Clonk. Hey, Gen Z's, you used to have to pay by the minute. <laughs> Again, not yeah, Only because the system anymore, couldn't right? do I mean, per second billing. Now. No one would do that, right? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Everybody has to rent services. Oh, let's move on. <laughs> Don't do the rental thing. Um, yes, so phone calls were getting shorter. And when a telephone system is doing phone calls, all the work happens when you dial. All the complicated stuff that uses compute time, power, wears bits out in Stroudra exchanges where things actually move. Go and see a Stroudra exchange actually working. It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> They're extraordinary bits of mechanical engineering. They really are. Have they got one at Bletchley now? I think they've got one at they Bletchley. Have. Anyway. So all the work happens initially, and then if you don't speak for very long, BT weren't getting paid for that. So the whole point was to find something to all get you on the phone for longer. Yeah. And a gentleman called Colin Duffy, um, who we'd never met up to this point, back in 1995, went to the board with an idea. His idea was... There's all these video games that you can play on networks that people have been playing in our offices and screwing up the IT. But people spend hours sat in front of these screens shooting each other. I don't understand why. 
He says, I, well, actually, I, it's not fair to say Colin didn't understand why. Colin actually had friends in the industry yeah. as well. Um, yeah, that, he that says, area. we should get into this because it will get people on the phone. We can make the rates lower, but we can get people on the phones for longer, yeah. get using the network, or effectively get our money back, improve our margins. So that was the whole idea behind Wireplay. That, and I think Colin really wanted to shoot his mate who lived in Scotland. All good <laughs> there's always, there's always there, a yeah. reason. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> always an ulterior yeah. motive. Blatant capitalism and, and, and um, boyish aggro. <laughs> so the board actually, to Colin's immense surprise, said, yeah, here's five million quid. Go and make it happen. In 1995. And so Wireplay became a thing. It existed as an idea and not as any technology yet. And he went looking to get people involved. Um, at this point, I was working on the voicemail system, the Coolminder thing. Um, we'd just come to the end of that. BT Internet had been also approved by the board as an idea. And there were people starting to look at doing dial-up internet access as another way of using the phone for longer. You can see where this is all going. And Colin had got some prototype work done by a third-party outside company who happened to have some prior experience in networking and graphics. That was an organization up in York called Hand Whittington Associates. Um, And they did a great job hooking up a prototype and getting people on the board and investors and whoever to see what's possible and to commit to the idea of maybe something being taken further forward. They wanted to actually go public and go to production. And so they came looking for um, nerds who played games at night in the labs. <laughs> nerds who'd wired up the internet to their office illegally. I'm pointing down at my brother in the other window down yeah. there. Nerds who'd wired up the office illegally to the internet. Things like that could have happened. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> So the, 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 what was then the um, management team hadn't done any dev work yet but came looking for people and started asking around at the research laboratories because, you know, where would you find nerds? And they didn't find me first. They found a chap who was going to run the show. Oh, oh, isn't that bad when someone's name goes? I'll come back to it. It's in my own blog post as well, which is even more annoying. And Steve? <laughs> <laughs> no, they came no. later, don't they? Who, who, Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sorry, I'll look that one up. <laughs> anyway, they came and found me because they knew who I was and they used to play games in the evenings in my lab. <laughs> and we put together a technical team to make this move from a prototype with a couple of phones and modems and a couple of computers to a national service. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's an interesting challenge, right? We'll take, we'll take five or six nerds um, we'll give them a prototype that was knocked up in a few months as a demonstrator that works with one game and four people on a spark station. Hey, remember pizza boxes? Hey, Gen Z's. There used to be a company called Sun. Go look them up. They were cool. <laughs> I'll stop doing the Gen Z jokes. Then, <laughs> then, go, then go and look up Brian Cantrell on Oxide Computers, which is what he's uh, doing now, yeah. which is also cool. <laughs> Good man. Um, yeah, so there was the challenge. Um, so here's this demo, all right? Um, we need a national service. Like, how many people are we expecting? Tens of thousands, yeah? Simultaneously, across the whole of the UK. Oh, and by the way, 
We've got a launch date. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a little thing called Euro 96 football tournament. Yeah. There was a game around that. Um, it's just going with it, which is part of the sort of merchandising PR package for the tournament. Um, that was a multiplayer game. Obviously, it's football. The FIFA thing was kind of happening. The FIFA games were, were fantastic. Everybody loved them. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so there was a football match that wasn't going to move. There was the ECTS, the European Computer, Computer Telecommunications Show, which is a big games festival that happens in London. Um, they wanted to have a stand there. Uh, that was just after the footy had started. And they wanted it all sweet, perfect, working, of course. <laughs> no crunch. Everything everything will be fine. In November 1995, what was going to be the core technical team was sat in a darkened room. Um, yep. <laughs> there were no windows. It was actually a I'm, broom I'm cupboard, sure I think. <laughs> it was definitely a broom cupboard. <laughs> I'm sure that was a broom cupboard. It had a whiteboard <laughs> and a pen. And I stood at the front with the pen. And we went through all the possibilities of how the hell to make this work. Given the software that we knew we had working, which was the prototype, given we would have to talk to games companies and educate them. There were some games that we already knew we could probably make work. And that was things built around the ID tech engines and things built around the build engine, um, the Duke Nukem stuff, because they already had working networking. We also went looking for competition and saw how they... St- you've got to steal stuff from other people. That's that's called progress. So we went looking and found the Carly and the 10 networks in it. Standing on the shoulders of giants, surely. <laughs> yes. Making progress go. through plagiarism, I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we looked across the pond, and over in the States were two networks called TEN, the Entertainment Network, and Carly, which was named after the god and later became a Linux distribution name. But at this point, that didn't exist. So ignore, not Carly, the Linux, the hacking distribution, not that one. This was an online games network. They were both online games networks, but they were in the country where the games were being developed. They were in California. They had friends who had coffee with the developers of the games. And so through them, we could influence how the game's networking code was done to make it work on slower networks. Yeah, so that was that was a core challenge, was transitioning a mindset for the people that actually developed the game to move from, I've got a 10 megabit LAN. Oh, yeah, 10 megabit? That was good. <laughs> okay. well, yes. that, was, that, was, that was what Super the Ethernet fast. cable would deal with. Um, yeah, got a gigabit up your wall now. Don't even think about it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so to move from that environment to an environment where you had the limitations of a dial-up connection, that was a significant step forward um, in terms of their thinking and our thinking in terms of how to get the hell this thing to work. Turns out the key challenges, everyone talks about bandwidth. I need more bandwidth. I need more bandwidth. Give me more bits. Yeah, that's not the problem. That's never been the problem. Gaming is not about bits, at least not until you need to download an update, right? And then it's about waiting a week. Um, <laughs> then, then it's about lots God, of bits. Bigger, some yes. games these days, literally. I mean, I've, I can fit one game. I've got a PS4. I upgraded it to uh, like a... I think it's a 500 gig drive in there. I can get one game on that now. It's mad. Anyway, <laughs> back then, um, the games came on, on little shiny metal discs. Yeah. I'm not going to know. No Gen Z jokes. We're going to stop now. <laughs> no, I'm liking my Gen we, Z jokes. We, we all know what a CD is. Yeah, so, um, so it's, it's not so a DVD distribution, yet. The distribution <laughs> for the main part of the content was not a problem we had to solve. All you've got to do is make them talk to each other. And it's all about just keeping them in sync because there's a bit of state. Like, 
where you're standing, where the bullets are going. It's all about state management. There isn't a huge amount of state if it's like a four or five player game. Everyone's in the same universe. You've just got to track where they are. But you've got to do that really accurately and, and really precisely in time. So the principal challenge about this is about delay, latency, bing time. Jitter. And yeah, <laughs> jitter. Because um, if you've got a latency that's, I don't know, quarter of a second, you can still play the game. Your mind will compensate for that and will adjust. You do it all the time. You don't think about it. Um, and there's lots of things that, that have like slightly delayed reactions to your control inputs. Your brain can cope with that as long as it's consistent. If it keeps changing all the time, nah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get you. You're gonna get fragged, right? You you're gonna get your ass <laughs> Nice terminology. The guy on the well ISDN done. line, I will talk about that in a minute. But yeah, <laughs> or the guy that's that's in the lab playing Quake with you on your dial-up. Nah, nah, he's gonna win, right? <laughs> you have no yeah. yeah. So are we are we allowed to swear slightly? <laughs> Uh, reasonably. Okay, yeah, no, this, reasonably is, so. this isn't too bad. So the guy on the fastest network always got an acronym. That was LPB, Low Ping Bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no LPBs <laughs> allowed. <laughs> you, you, you used to have a tilde LPB on some of the server names. Sort of invites to tournaments and and, um, and game sessions and stuff. This this would start appearing. I don't think anybody in the senior management ever realised what it was. Nah. We weren't going to tell them. <laughs> But yeah, ping time. If anybody from if any from if anybody from BTC the manager is now listening, the Statue of Limitations is now over. <laughs> I, I I'm going to forward this to Colin if I can find him. Uh, he's still out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, it's all about ping time. Okay. If you've got a network card in your in your computer, ping time's not an issue. Yeah. The thing flies out the back, goes across, and flies straight up the next computer next to you in uh, nanoseconds. If you're on a modem. There's an awful lot of weird stuff that has to happen, yeah, between the signal cable going out the serial port, right? Your serial port's going to be fairly slow. It's going to take noticeable numbers of milliseconds just to get one byte out the back of the computer. Then it goes through all the processing stuff that turns it into a real-world analog signal. Okay, it was anyway, but let's not go there. Another bee in my bonnet. Everything's really analog. Remember that, folks. <laughs> it's really analog, but seen through a weird-looking grid where you can't see most of it. Yeah, constellation um, transmission. Stop. Move on. <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really an analog radio engineer. <laughs> that's it. That's that's information to think about that really comes in handy. So things like, well, um, if it's gonna, there's going to be errors, right? There's going to be noise. How do you get around that problem? Well, so the solution at the time for the internet folks was to send it again, right? That's called transmission control protocol, TCP. That's what it does. Yeah. It sends some stuff. It waits for the other end to send an acknowledgement back that says whether it worked or not. And if it didn't work, it sends it again. That could take half a second, three seconds, couple of hours. Nobody knows, right? If you're sending a file to your mate in California and you've gone home for the night, you don't care. Yeah. If you're trying to frag the guy that's in uh, <laughs> California um, in a quake match, nah, not so good. <laughs> Which is why when we started this whole thing, internet mechanisms weren't really that interesting. So actually, that's not entirely fair. UDP existed. Yeah. 
the datagram protocols existed, they don't have a retransmission mechanism to correct errors and that kind of stuff. Um, we could have looked at using UDP, and at one point, actually, we did. But we'll talk about why that was so idea. many mad experiments didn't, that didn't yeah, get out no, the door. Still <laughs> a ping problem. What you need to do is send the smallest amount of data you can as quickly as possible. So we started on, and in fact, the guys at HWA um, did a bit of work on this already, not a lot, but we took that idea forward and we extended it and we just, we took all of, we said, okay, here's, here's an information packet. How much of this do we really need? And the answer is almost none of it. There's only four people connected to your network. I need a two bit address. Done. Anything else is superfluous nonsense and noise and we need to get rid of it. So we have a translator mechanism that was part of the Wireplay engine that took network packets that would have gone onto an Ethernet packet, for example, ripped all of the stuff off that we don't need, left the two bits to tell it where it was actually going, and sent that. Um, so that's, that's one way of trying to deal with the ping thing. The other thing was the immense amount of pain in trying to work out how the hell um, all of the modem developers out there that do all their firmware actually make that work, and how to set your modem up not so that you got the most amount of bandwidth out of it, but so that you got but the, the most latency. stable and shortest yeah. ping time. Because modems do this thing called retraining. And most of the time, if you're loading a web page or sending some email, you don't care. You're not going to notice. It takes a couple of seconds, meh, whatever. New. Can't do that. Right? You're effectively like making a voice call, but digitally, that's what gaming is like. Yeah. If you want to think about it in those terms. Um, if... If you took a voice call and every two seconds you chopped half a second out of it, that's not great. <laughs> right? That's going to be really hard to listen to at the other end. <laughs> so what you have to do is to find a way to program everybody's modem so that it behaves in a different way than it would have to for using it as an internet connection. And that's really why the two things stayed separate. Uh, if anybody goes, why the hell didn't you just use internet? Blah, blah, blah. It would have been easy. No. <laughs> right? Now, it's fair to say that all of this stuff still happens yeah things still retrain your adsl modem if you still got a copper line into your house retrains it does it all the time but it takes milliseconds now so it's become less of a problem than it used to be on a modem okay we'll start again <laughs> right. that was good that again. <laughs> no you can't do that so you have <laughs> to you have to be really careful and we had a whole library of of weird at commands hey guys AT commands, go look it up. Um, they're still out there in the real world. <laughs> yeah, try looking at how to talk to your mobile yep. phone as a modem well, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That's AT we'll commands up its bum. Um, <laughs> all great. Um, and obviously every, every, every sort of eight months to a year, there was another modem generation that happened. So V whatever. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the early ones. V25. Um, early stuff. Uh, v21 was the earliest we're not, we're not um, going there 1275 stuff then we get to 2k4 which is the first um, um um balanced in and out um signal on a modem and 4k8 9k6 was very popular for a while that was the um then v34 happened um, which gives you the 33k bit and v90 happened which gave you the 56k bit which was about as far as you could push it on an analog phone line as long as it wasn't raining and the guy that, that connected your line hadn't left the connection in a bag of water outside your house that also happens <laughs> yay bag joints yeah so we pushed it about as far as we could we had a whole library that wireplay software's got a whole library of, of weird and random at commands in it to go what kind of so and it asks you i mean how many internet 
installations ask you, what kind of modem do you have? What's the serial number on the bottom? Because we <laughs> yeah. need to know what version of the firmware you've got in it so we know what weird AT commands to send it so that it does what it needs to. And the guys in our support desk were amazing because they had to deal with customers finding out going, oh, it's crap, it doesn't work. It keeps dropping out. Yeah, what modem have you got? Yeah, what brand is it? Yeah, what serial numbers on the bottom? Yeah, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Did you tell our software what it was? Oh, the pain, just just the, the pain was unbelievable. So so just to be really clear on this, because I just want to be 100% clear, when Wireplay was not go so you didn't have your you weren't already connected to an isp no, no. wireplay was its own service yeah, that you separate. were dialing in for the reasons we've just described they're trying to solve a technical uh, problem that's very different yeah so we make a conscious decision i mean obviously bt internet was happening we knew that was happening there's obviously synergies um we built the bt internet core platform and the wireplay core platform in the same server rooms yeah because yeah. that made sense at the server end, we shared the same um, access network, and that uh, was the 34 meg fiber line, which I purchased, which was freaking expensive at the time. <laughs> I was one of um, I was one of BT uh, business's best customers. They loved us. It was great because, <laughs> of course, BT was kind of broken up into separate internal sort of like cost centers and stuff. So all that nonsense happened. Um, but yeah, we had all that. I looked after all that. It was great fun. Um, we had racks and racks and racks of digital connected uh, modems not analog modems there were a handful of analog modems actually in the server room and actual analog phone lines but that was for the support team to use when the digital equipment went boom and stopped working that was a that was our management network yeah, that's the management link so you <laughs> dial up and go okay so you get you get console accent blah 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 um but yeah this was all digital back end um and we were sharing a lot of that infrastructure and purchase of equipment um ascend was it all ascend Ascend Max 4000s. Yeah. <laughs> Ascend, Ascend were a really good company. They changed their firmware for us. They modified their firmware for us to, re, to, to make the latency and the jitter better. Wow. Because of, we were, basically we were abusing what they, were do, what they built it for. They built it for internet access. And it was yeah, great. I mean, it was, this thing was a, it was a cool concentrator, basically. So um, you, had, you had a fiber line coming in the back of it that was, um, that was, that was a digital connection, but it was carrying analog like, voice calls. 64 yeah, so lines. you'd have yeah. up to 64 wow. calls coming into this thing. Inside of it was a whole bunch of, of basically modems, same as you've got at home, um, but um, racked up on cards. And they would they would then take the digital signal and in the digital domain they would do the the um, the modem operation that you would be doing at home and then they would forward whatever um, serial data stream they got from that to wherever you want it to go and it would come out the back on the TCP socket so we would send that off into the servers over the local land in the in the building so that's how we built the thing and it worked and it was all cool quick aside we also shared the room with another um, bit of the business do you remember a company called Sky TV sound familiar yeah yeah. Okay, this is this is good because my next job was responsible for this. That's <laughs> where I went afterwards. <laughs> um, Sky TV boxes phone up at the time they did. Yeah, they still do, but yes, mostly yeah. their, their 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 reverse connection is now over your your broadband. Yeah, there is still yeah. if you take your Skybox mm-hmm. out out of the of the dusty cupboard that it's in. There's still a phone socket on the back. Yeah, because not everyone has a broadband access from their Skybox. It can still make phone calls. They had little modems inside them. Yeah. And they needed to call back to report how much you'd spent on your card watching television. That's what they did. Yeah. 
Oh, the pay per view yes, stuff. To do all the pay per view yeah. bit, which was the next eighteen years of my life after Wild Play finished. But we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they needed a call set, a, a, a call concentrator arrangement. So they needed a similar thing to what we needed for people to for these for the boxes to phone into and just make a quick report of somebody's paid for a movie. Please charge them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they contracted BT to yeah. provide. So it. the contract came to BT to do that. All of that was using the same Ascend callback equipment that we were using. So we shared all of oh, that wow. equipment, which meant that we were experts in making this stuff go <laughs> fast, right? <laughs> and not fall over. <laughs> so when Sky launched and it all went <laughs> and fell over, guess who had to fix it? <laughs> oh, no. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so our support desk were all over them for about the first week um holding their hand and getting this stuff not to fall over every time because the sky boxes would would all phone back at the same time the guy that did the sky software maybe hadn't thought about the scalability issue of this right what happens when all of the boxes make one phone call yay at the same time midnight midnight oh, report wait, the numbers. Midnight, make a call back wait 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 so every, every sky box box at midnight phoned up no bad right why did you do that? It's simple engineering problem. First line support were not happy. Solution. It was midnight. They don't need to phone up at the same time, but they did, <laughs> right? Because actually they made a configuration mistake on their end. That's what they'd done. Because they, they just hadn't programmed the offset into any of the boxes. You can. Um, I know because I worked for 18 years for the company that did the software for the boxes after this. <laughs> so I know exactly what it does. <laughs> and I told everybody else not to make the same mistake again, please. So there's a few synergies and things going on. So it's useful. We've got some other outcomes out of it. Most no, notably a job, which is nice. <laughs> but yeah, so this, but again, it, it, trying to solve a different set of, um, different set of technical constraints and problems. So we stayed separate from BT internet for a couple of years, um, for a little while. Can I, can I come in here? So this brings me on to what I, I'm, I mentioned this to James earlier before you were here, Stuart. We had an incident following this involving the police oh, yeah. um, and internal investigations and stuff. A couple of years in, we decided, why don't we just let people get on the internet anyway using our dial-up platform we've already yeah. got? Um, it's not that big a step to say, if you use this slightly different bit of client software – same phone number, same billing rates, everything else. Uh, we can give you access to the internet. Yeah. Like, that good. seemed like an easy thing to do. We had the internet connections in the back of our platform on those nice expensive yeah. 34 meg fibers. We, we had a bigger backhaul to the internet than BT Internet did at the time. <laughs> oh, at the time. Yes, we did. This is, oh, well, you're going to get onto the traffic um, shaper now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah we okay. were. Yeah. <laughs> so... We switched on internet access for people. We just basically turned on the routing and said, oh, oh well, you can run IP over this over this dial-up modem yep. now. And there's the internet. We didn't realize that that's in contravention of an agreement that had been made between the government, uh, certain departments of the government who like to know who's on the internet, <laughs> and BT about making sure that everybody who accessed the internet from this country at least provided a phone number or some identification information to say who the hell they were when they did bad things. Yes. Traceability. Yeah. Ah. Traceability. Ah. Yes. Yes. Turned out we were providing anonymous yeah. internet access. Oh, the naivety of a bunch of random gaming techs that just thought we can give everybody internet access as well. Yay. <laughs> we didn't ask. To anybody. We just, the legal we department just we just turned it off oh, no, we, so we did it, it, we had a chat with the product manager the product manager went yeah cool man 
That was Richard Warren. Thanks, Come Richard. on. Richard, Richard just said, yay, cool man, to everything. <laughs> Richard was a good manager, by the way. <laughs> so I, cause I didn't even realise that was a thing. I mean, you know, we're in this age of the, you know, the online safety bill. Yeah, the, um, yeah. We call it the data. This is why I brought it up. Yeah. So, yeah. So we provided anonymous internet access. All of a sudden, our modem banks were full. Yes. All the light all the time. On. All and the people time. were not playing games. No one could play any games anymore because it was dog slow. <laughs> And clogged up, and then we realised that there's all kinds of weird peer sharing. Uh, what's going on here? <laughs> right? Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> the first, the first we knew about it was our technical limit. Was our technical um, statistics going off the wall? Yep. Of why is everybody using this platform? The next thing we knew about it was internal investigations in BT, who have an internal investigations department, quietly coming to have a word <laughs> and saying. We think this is coming from your platform. Have you seen what these people are doing? And can you tell us who they are? <laughs> and we went, and we went, Because <laughs> I assume the sign-up process for, for, for Wireplay didn't require that same... There was no sign-up process. You, you, you downloaded the software or you got it from the cover disc on the magazine... And it worked. It's 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 the same premium rate phone number process that you have um, for accessing. Oh, let me think about what other premium rate services were around at the time. Mmm, tasteful stuff like like sex chat lines. <laughs> oh no, uh, gambling. gambling chat lines, gambling services, all that kind of dodgy stuff, right? That was on a, like yeah. Oh, oh eight nine eight. So we got our money. Got our money through the phone calls. We were we were piggybacking on the 0898 number platform. We had a different number, 0894. Oh, eight, oh, eight, four, four. It was the first 0844 oh, yeah, number. It was the first half Wireplay. rate one. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we were half yeah. rate. We did a lower lines. rate. We were probably more fun, to be honest. You know, I've, just got, so <laughs> I've just got this picture now, and may, this might be a very UK, of um, it's in Father Ted, oh, God, yeah. where there's a, a priest chat yeah. phone line. Oh, that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that pretty yeah. much. So the whole point was nobody could find out who was on the other end of the line. You didn't want them to know. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've just provided internet access via this. Oops. <laughs> anyway, what was interesting was that we weren't told to pull the plug. Yeah. Oh. So this is, this is how professionals handle this stuff, right? Panicky people go, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, pull the plug, which makes it really obvious that you've made a mistake and you've now tried to rectify it and it's everyone can see it. What actually happened was the internal investigation said, can you record the phone numbers? Turns out, yes, of course we can. Please log stuff and give us the call records. That's all we want. And you're fine. That's what we did. Also, one more, one more little wrinkle in this number withheld. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you remember you could do, you could still do that. Yeah. You can still do this. You can withhold your number. So of course, all the people doing the, interesting things over our anonymous dial-up we're withholding their number yeah at that point we gave people the choice of either presenting a phone number or actually logging in with an account and we had account details to that was the first time we had to look after ppi <laughs> people's oh, people's sorry. people's yeah. private information yep. their, their their account information we'd never had to do that to that point so we we reversed our way into all sorts of legal issues and all god yeah <laughs> all this while trying to run quake death matches at up till two in the morning 
yeah. and then do yeah. temp work all day to make it not fall over again. We kept the internet access on. We made sure we had traceability to who was actually accessing the platform and therefore the internet. But it also meant we had to deal with the technical things that we'd already noticed, which was that it was clogging up the platform with lots of people using the internet. And and these are send max boxes, the digital modems that our end didn't really have enough CPU grunt to do all of the work. Yeah. Remember, they've been, designed, they've been designed for intermittent bursts of traffic, like looking at web pages. Yeah. We were doing with them, although we had all 64 calls up all of the time, all sending traffic, the volume of traffic was actually quite small. It's only sending, we're sending small packets, so the overall processing loads are still manageable. When you've got 64 lines up all doing sharing of peer streams of stuff going full blast, no. (laughs) They they were not so great. I can imagine that was a rather toasty server rack. There were some pretty warm racks, yeah. So we did two things. We put... We went back to Ascend and said, here's our usage profile. We think your boxes are running out of steam. Can you optimize them for us? And they actually said, yeah, that's cool. We want to make that happen. And they did. They got their firmware down to the point where you could both use the Internet, run, I don't know, some kind of thing called a torrent over the Internet whilst your roommate on another modem was fragging somebody in quake that would happen at the same time so ascend were really that cool awesome. at making that they work. did a really good job of of hard real-time scheduling all of the the load on their platform and they yeah. could max it out the other thing that melted down was our internet feed all 34 yes. megs of it sucked up Ooh, we horrible. toasted it <laughs> we absolutely <laughs> toasted it we were just reaching the point we were just reaching the point where we were allowing people to play games off of our platform with people elsewhere in the world. So we had internet access into our platform from the other side. So to to go outside of the country, obviously you can't use the premium rate phone number mechanism anymore. It's not going to work. There isn't a premium rate phone number. If you want to play from Ireland or you want to play from from somewhere in Europe or from whatever, California, anywhere, you need another way in. And by this point, I guess we're about 97. Actual home internet was a thing. Um, Modems were like V90, 56K, was plausible to access thing access this thing via the open public internet so that's what we did and that was the other reason we had to put accounts on because obviously you need to log in otherwise it's completely untraceable it's just packets so our lovely 34 meg line which had been great up to that point melted down with lots of people both trying to use it to come into the platform to play games on our servers and get out to general internet access at the same time um so we went looking for a solution for that and again came up with, uh, well, we found another company called Packet Technologies, I think. They do a thing called a Packet Shaper, um, which is now in common use on most internet service providers, but wasn't then. And it's a traffic shaping device. So that, that technology is now available in your home router, pretty much. Um, yes. Yeah. If, you, if you've come across Quaz yep. options in your Any router, same idea. stuff in your home router, that's all based on this. At the time, this really wasn't a, this was a a weird edge case thing that corporates were trying to stop, uh, um, you know, people using corporate networks for private email and clogging up the network and blah, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So so we went to Packet Technologies and said, so we'd love to have one of these things on trial, if you would. Um, We're running an online gaming service and it's melting down with our internet connection. We'd like to try and fix it with your kit. And they were just all over it. (laughs) <laughs> they're like can we use that in marketing 
<laughs> yeah, of course you can. The PR spin that they got off this was huge. Had they dealt with a thirty meg internet feed before? It probably was. It was. It was. It was Ethernet based. This thing was hundred. Yeah, it was a hundred meg each side yeah. Ethernet box. So you just put it. You put it in line in the network feed, and it right. it wriggled with the packet headers. I'll just use that terminology. Yeah. It's a timey wimey spacey kind of thing. Love it. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing. It wriggled right. with the packet. You headers. can fiddle with it <laughs> and make it slow down. So it's basically a box that did a man in the middle attack on the, on the control packets for TCP. Um, it also had rate limiting for datagram as well. Um, so that if it's, and it had like a bucket mechanism, it had some, some well thought out ideas in there about how to throttle um, traffic without just chopping people off and killing it. Um, and it worked. And that saved us when Half-Life came out. We have come full circle. Ah, <laughs> yes. Because that, that was a question I wanted to ask. Because obviously when we're talking games like Doom, and I'm going back to like the early sort of content, Doom, Duke Nukem, uh, Quake, because I was a big Quake fan. Yep. These are designed to be run without a, as a peer-to-peer, so no server involved. Correct. Unlike, yes. unlike okay. again, model example, Minecraft. Now, before we move on to Half-Life, which was definitely client-server, yes. other games were client-server, but how did you deal with that? Because you're then not connecting between, say, Bob's computer. Really good question. Yeah. Um, again, that was another really interesting thing that happened in the game development biz. Um, obviously, all of the people before multiplayer became a big thing were designing games to run standalone. There was a mindset change that happened when, when, when network play started to be a thing. It's obvious you need a central point of coordination to keep state. There are mechanisms to do shared state. The esoteric research projects leave them in the laboratory. They don't work. <laughs> okay. Well, they work up to eight players on Duke Nukem, and that's about it. Um, there's, there's mechanisms <laughs> to do it. Um, it's called eventually complete databases these days. There, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are ways to do it, but they're not appropriate for what we want to do because we need to sync up really quickly. So you need really a central point of coordination. So what we saw happen was that the game internally, although it's all running on one computer, would actually be two separate components. And this is exactly how it all still works now. So if you run Minecraft on your console, there's a server running and a client running. There is. Trust me. One of the last games that kind of didn't do that was a game, let's pick Duke Nukem. So I think Duke's probably a good example of, of, of the last genre that hadn't made that transition yet. Yeah, that was one game engine. What they used to do when you started a network game was whoever got there first, you were the server. And what would happen in the other ones is they'd run the client part of the code. And whenever they needed to talk to the server, it would go down a network hole and disappear off across the network and come back again. And hopefully it would work fast enough. That has one obvious issue, which is that if you're the server, you win. <laughs> you're the LPB, Your right? Is nothing. <laughs> Everybody else is like 100 to 200 millis, right? Hmm. Yeah, um, so there's a certain level of unfairness there. So we had to police this stuff while people were doing matches and things. And we, what we would actually do is that we would make sure that it was our team that was running the server the copy of the game, and we would be a referee. So we would be a player in the game, a live player, but they wouldn't be taking part. They would be refereeing. Yeah? That's what we used to try and do to fix that issue so that everybody else was actually a remote player. There were no local players. Oh, When Quake comes along... Sorry, when not Quake itself, but when Quake World happened, Quake yeah, World, Quake World, yeah. the spin-off, yeah, happened. The client-server split had happened. 
because it was obvious that this was a problem that needed solving. And if you needed to scale this up, it was obvious the server needed to be somewhere else and not on one of the players' computers. So that's what Carmack did. Everybody else followed suit very shortly afterwards. If you look at all the multiplayer games that are out there, they are all actually client-server. And you can run the server components separately, sometimes even on a different operating system. Yeah. <laughs> Air attack. Um, <laughs> run it on Solaris. <laughs> yes. Um, wow. To avoid the pain of Windows servers in your lab, in your back end, which are fine, I'm sure. Yeah, we, we failed. We failed. We failed to avoid the pain of Windows servers in 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 the back end. I'm afraid. What happened to all those big compacts? That's, that sounds a very that sounds a very painful yeah. medical condition. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Oh, the Windows server, my back end server. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> oh my word! Yes. A user, so, there's a Oh god, yes. Oh my god, that Solaris server is huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move on now. Yes. <laughs> See this face. <laughs> Stop that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I've already chosen the, ep- the episode title. Otherwise, this episode would be called Windows Servers in the back end. It's actually a good point because uh, around this time we decided that actually we would probably start server hosting because we hadn't done up to this point. We were we were a matchmaking service for finding each yeah. other and a lobby service for having a quick chat before you started the game, and then a coordinated game initiation platform so we would fire off the game with the right command line options to connect back in and find each other and get it working but it was peer-to-peer gaming because that's what existed in 1995 when colin went to the board that was all there was well there was some very esoteric client server stuff in universities they were mmorpgs and he wasn't interested in those he wanted to shoot his mate in scotland (laughs) so that's where we started. But very quickly, we migrated towards the client server side of things. We doubled the team size to do server yeah, management. We, took on a whole bunch we brought in just, my just long-term friend and mate, Duncan. Very quickly got into the painful world of running game server code on Windows servers in your back end. There you, there go. you go. There it is. <laughs> but did we find um, something on the BT? So, Phil, do you remember trying to find computers from the BT standard supplier um, price list that would act? Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> Cor- corporate purchasing systems and game servers do not mix. Your corporate purchasing people do not understand the world, the world of 20 player Quake world, right? <laughs> we want to run a 20 player Quake server. We're going to need blah, 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 blah. And they went, oh, Christ, we've got nothing that powerful, sir. <laughs> Here you go. Have a couple of have a couple of HP. Compact uh, <laughs> as we went with it eventually, but good old compact. Classy. Um, we had some compact big iron, and I mean these things were like forty kilos to lift the damn thing, get them in the rack. They were massive. Wow. We bought all the RAM we could. We filled them right up. They would just about cope. They would run three or four games at a time. And this is before virtualization was really. Oh yeah, oh, none, none of this is virtual. Oh my god, containers! What the hell is that? Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, Quake World Server 1 died right? all the other games on that machine are also dead because <laughs> you have to reboot it because <laughs> it's Windows and that's the recovery process so my very good friend and long term colleague Duncan spent an inordinate amount of his life writing automated management software that would run on all the Windows servers monitor all of the resource usage all the games that were running look, feed scores back to a centralised platform um, but also, most importantly, at three o'clock in the morning, reboot the fecker. 
<laughs> oh, because at that time you're hoping that all the British people have gone because to bed. Maybe. Stop then. We did tell everyone. <laughs> like, the surf reboots at 3 a.m., guys. If you're on at 3 a.m., it will stop, okay? <laughs> but we we wanted to be in bed. So. Yeah, we had to start at 9 o'clock <laughs> yeah, the next morning. They didn't. <laughs> so. So that obviously sets in the seat because that means you're running. And just, I mean, just folks, get your head around this. These are bare metal servers running game servers, whereas now, you know, like, so for example, we as Crosswires, and we announced this on the streams recently, for our community, we do now have a Minecraft server. But guess what? We're not hosting that. That's hosted with a, we pay for a a, a Minecraft server hosting. Because I don't want the headache of a box. Right, so we're, we were the cloud. We were somebody else's computer because <laughs> there wasn't another one. So fast forward then to a little game, and I'm going to try and do my best G-Man voice. Mr. Freeman, we should talk about Half-Life. Yeah, we should. Well, that sounds a bit more, that <laughs> sounds a bit more like Alan Rakeman than um, <laughs> a Mr. Mi- Potter. A mildly camp G-Man, that works for me. <laughs> Why is your head spawned between a wall, Mr. Potter? No part of your body should be spawned between a wall. That's the one. That is definitely yes, Alan Rickard. Yes, so Half-Life. Okay. Yeah, so what happened was the team at Valve wanted an international launch. They were really, really sure they had a winner. Everyone that had had the demos was really sure it was going to be a winner. So they contacted all the possible hosting companies to run servers for them. And that included 10 in the, and Carly in the States and us for the whole of Europe because there was nothing else in Europe. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So we got pre-releases. We played them. It was really, really cool. There, there was some ISPs Tasty. that did it like on the side, um, did a few LAN parties. Um, there were people that, that would run private servers for them, you know. If you knew the bloke that worked at the ISP, he would run a Quake server for you. But there wasn't anything formally organized. No, we were quite visible by that point. So they came to us and we went, oh, yeah. Uh, A couple of our guys actually went across to the States and spent some time with them, making sure that their networking was thought out properly and all that kind of thing. I think I mentioned this halfway, the, the video that this started this conversation, it's about 35 minutes in. There's a side comment where somebody mentions, he says, all the cool guys were in the room, you know, Mecky, Driller, somebody. Driller was one of our guys. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they were Thanks, sat Adrian. in a room trying to make this all work. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Um, yeah. So all that hard won experience of making this stuff actually work as a national service. Um started to get farmed out and and taken notice of so we had a full set of half-life deathmatch servers ready to roll on release day oh yeah nice oh yes we still had a 34 meg pipe (laughs) this was a mistake (laughs) oh no we had a packet shaper this was a saving grace (laughs) because we were also hosting the download server with gigabytes of crud. Oh. So everyone was trying guess. to suck game content out so, uh, and play on our servers. Thing that makes broadband today. Yeah, there's a there's a thing called there's a thing called used to be called, used to be Akamai and a fun, bunch of other businesses that run network caches basically. CDN yeah. content yes. delivery networks to give them a posh name. It's a cache. That's what it is. Um it's some smarts to make sure that the 
bytes that you need are as near to your home as possible and the requests for them don't clog up the insides of the network only the outsides of the network yeah that didn't exist makes sense there so wasn't kind of like a cloud, well, they, cloud they didn't Acumai. exist we got blattered now folks just to put this into perspective 34 megabit just again helping out gen c because i know gen z because no, <laughs> wow. I've, I've got i've got a gen z and a gen alpha apparently at home now Sorry, yes, 34 meg uh, in context. What do you want to compare it with, James? Well, my, my, my ADSL line at the moment is a 40 meg download. I mean, most people have got 20, 40, 100 meg connections these days. Yeah, so that gives you a feel for it. Yeah, that's kind of where it was. Yeah, so imagine running 200 game servers and hosting the whole of Europe's download for Half-Life. At your own house. On your home, on your home broadband. Right. That's what yes. Because yes. <laughs> that's yeah. all there was. Yeah. If you wanted more than a 34 meg connection back into um, the London Internet Exchange, right, you had to dig your own road up. Seriously, there wasn't anything yeah. else bigger. <laughs> it was fiber, to be fair, it was fiber, you know, but the, the fiber endpoint technology hadn't sort of gigabit fiber wasn't a thing. Yeah. That was still research going on. Yeah. So that was fun. That was a really, really fun weekend. <laughs> I remember it, it well. It wasn't a lot of sleep. <laughs> no, there was quite a lot of caffeine there. <laughs> yes. And we were running a forum as well at this point, so it was heaving with people going, why is this so slow? And we're like, is it working at all? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but it's really, really slow. And that says, good, that means the packet shaper's working. <laughs> what you don't know is that slow is good yeah. <laughs> for your downloads. Absolutely. Yeah, well, sorry, <laughs> so you're going to have to wait so yeah if, if you want to if you want a sort of a consumer equivalent experience go to the microsoft store and try and download anything right and it just goes <laughs> go, go, go. oh okay no maybe not <laughs> and then it goes along at about 20 kilobits a second and go, do, 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 do. that's what it was like for everybody at the time trying to get half-life downloaded so yeah um half-life servers running and people could actually play the game once they got the code <clears throat> it also meant that people weren't starting matches at a hundred a second because it was, it was, it was kind of spacing out when you were able to join in the fun. Yeah. Yeah. We were trickle feeding the joy. Wow. That's can, can I use that phrase again? Trickle feeding the joy. <laughs> trickle feeding the joy. <laughs> Is that another you for, for joy? Yes. Jeez. <laughs> but I mean, weren't, wasn't Wireplay on the back of the original Half-Life box as well, if I'm in the UK? Yeah, we got logoed. I think yes, we, we got a logo deal. Yeah, we did. Yes, right. yes, we did. Yeah, our first... So our f- let's go, I, want to, I want to rewind a little bit and it just relive a really odd but very enjoyable experience was when we finished version 1.4, which was our first public release version, it went to press. Yeah. Ooh. It went to Personal Computer World. Classy. Oh, that was, yeah, that was um, for the chess players. That was for the chess players. English Bridge Union as well. Um, <laughs> hey, mate, we did. I was waiting. For, I was waiting for Stuart to say the thing when I say English Bridge Union. They were great, actually. They were really good fun. We had this eclectic mix of people that because yeah, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. The sides, two sides, and go to their mates' house and play bridge. And these these people were were keen and they want to play all the time and they want to play with their friends. Right, um, and they've got quite a lot of disposable income, and they're reasonably um, well healed and have got a bit of time. Um, so yeah, we'll go after them. We'll have them absolutely. 
I was expecting the phrase from our lab manager when they were play testing for us, which was, there's a bit of an odd smell in here. (laughs) 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 And that's really rude to English Bridge Union members. And we didn't mean it, but I think he just said that for fun once. Anyway. All of the young people had to leave the room to try not to laugh inaudibly. It's so, so bad. It was excellent play testing for people who have no idea how a computer works, but can play yes. bridge. That was, that was, that was an intro. That was an eye opening experience. So here's somebody that like 40, 50 year olds, you know, in the 19, the early nineties. Um, so I've not, that may be a bit computer literacy, but, um, the idea of like wiring up a modem and, and connecting and all of this other stuff, all of the hurdles that the barriers you have to get over to make this thing work. Oh my God. Um, our help, manual, our help manual improved immeasurably as a result. <laughs> they were always, they're all intelligent oh, yeah. people because they all Absolutely, play bridge. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Ah, uh, so, so you didn't have any uh, right click yeah. on mouse not working? No. What no, have you no. done? I've written no. click on my mouse. The questions used to be way more esoteric and involved, but going yeah, back yeah, to yeah. publications. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. We sent, we sent the floppy, we sent the CD off and about. Three weeks later, I walked into WH Smith's, looked up on the shelf, because it's next to the adult magazines, of course, computers. Because <laughs> they're there for the weirdos. The top shelf is weirdo shelf. <laughs> oh, no, PCW wasn't up there. No, no. All the gaming mags I know, were up PCW there. wasn't up there. The gaming mags were up there. We had a couple of gaming mags as well. I can't remember which they were. But they're on WH Smith's shelves, lining all the way along was a floppy disk with my code on. Wow. And you knew that there's a million of those. <laughs> Literally a million of them in every store in the country. And that's a very strange experience. <laughs> I recommend it. If you ever have the opportunity to publish something on a magazine cover, just do it. Um, I'd previously actually published code on the Softel archives on the internet, but that didn't feel the same. Um, no. A million downloads on YouTube doesn't still doesn't feel like it's just a number on a screen. Actually physically seeing the thing on shop yeah. shelves. It's quite an experience. Quite, quite something. Yeah. I came home bouncing. <laughs> that was I cool. I can imagine when we talked to Andrew and, oh my gosh, I've forgotten his name. That's, oh, and Paul from uh, Pixel Addict and Amiga Addict. We were saying, mm. you know, the first time they mm. saw their mags on the shelves. So like, Wow. Yeah. It be suddenly, suddenly all of that stuff that was in your head and on a computer and it's all still bits and it's virtually, it's not real. It's just electrons. Suddenly it's right in front of you. And that's awesome. <laughs> it's also <laughs> utterly terrifying because, you know, if you screwed up, that's a million broken ones. <laughs> so it really ought to work is if anything drills home the importance of doing enough testing, <laughs> that is the moment, right? Otherwise, you've got one million people phoning you, saying it's broken. <laughs> yes. Satellites are quite good for that as well, for getting it right the first time. Yeah. Yes. Remember, your systems are extremely fun. limited, right? Um, <laughs> yes. Same, yeah. same problem. Shipping a patch is tricky. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we've, we've wound back a bit. Yeah, that was just nice to go back and say that. That was, that was the first time you realised what scale of thing you have just done. <laughs> what have I just done? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So the half-life day was fun. Let's talk about a little bit about what happened after that really, because things tended to shift again. We very quickly discovered that all the peer to peer games faded away. 
there was nothing wrong with them, but nobody was playing them. I still play Duke Nukem occasionally, but... I just um, bought a copy of Duke Nukem. There's a remake. I bought the remake for the PS3. Um, it's even more inappropriate than the first version. <laughs> if that could be possible, yes, it is. It's horrific. Ah, uh, Carmageddon. Carmageddon was the most inappropriate oh, game oh, ever. Yeah. Thank yes. you, I'd forgotten that. Yes. <laughs> we saw we saw it at the ECTS show when it before they had to fix the gore problem. Oh, you mean when we had to change it to green? Yeah, they had yeah. to make it aliens. It was not. They shipped the no. gore patch to make it back to what it was at later later on. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So we were shifting towards all the client server stuff. All the dial-up was kind of fading away. By that point, BT Internet was quite popular and BT had decided that they were going to go down that avenue of providing internet service um, and slowly move away from traditional old phone lines and calls and all that stuff because it was a dead end. I think so that that's when ideas were forming in the company. company. That, that pay per minute was not a sustainable model. Nobody wanted to do that. And again, cable had started happening. Cable internet had started happening. That's a monthly rental. That's not a pay per minute. Yeah, so that's when BT was trying to diversify into other things. And being becoming a video hosting platform and all of that stuff was in people's minds at that point. So the online gaming thing with dial up suddenly looked creaky and old fashioned and they dropped us pretty much. They went, yeah, if you want to carry on, you can carry on. But it's on your cat. It's on your it's on your watch, on your money. If you think you can make a business go of it, please do. Um, but they didn't want to do it anymore. No, so the BT were not interested in continuing with this. I mean, they, they at the end, they started bundling it as like a BT internet and wire play package. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they would put us on. So, but we were just an ancillary service. There was like email, web hosting, um, wire play. Yeah. So it was part of the package. Um, so that was, that was more how it was going. So we were just like an ancillary service um, for that. Um, yeah. And they, they wanted to kind of move on because it was, Yeah. And this is a this is a point where you could connect via just username and password if you had if you were already on a ISP. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we were all fully internet by that point. So we were on like version three. We were on the pain of Windows ninety five had happened. Um, <laughs> Jesus, we are going to avoid I never that. Never see a VXD again. <laughs> Windows ninety five introduced a whole new world of pain and a whole level of otherness for us. So, yeah, we coped with all of that stuff. Um, but by that point, most of our customers were on dial-up internet. Um, they had enough bandwidth now that their latency wasn't a problem for for using ordinary internet protocols. There was a thing, I think we'll call it the modem trend, the, the modem, the, the slow death of modems. What happened, actually, we had some really serious hardcore gamers that, that had enough disposable income to buy their own ISDN lines at home, right? Remember... ISDN was a BT business product. It, was, it wasn't it was niche. I wouldn't say it was niche. It was very good and successful for providing communications facilities for businesses. So you run your own little PABX. You want five or six incoming lines. They'll throw an ISDN in there for you um, to service that. About a grand a year, was it? Something like that in, in yeah, the 90s. This, this, this was just like mid to like 95, 96, 97. So it was, it was available. Yeah. Some of our gaming customers realized that you could get internet access on this. And the, the equipment that we'd bought, remember, it's a digital termination. It's not an analog termination. They could handle ISDN calls straight away. Yeah. Bits in, bits out. It was easy for them. It was just a pipe. Literally, it just terminated the ISDN line as a TCP socket. That was what it did. 
which meant your ping time dropped enormously, right? Your bandwidth trebled, yeah? Um, as long as you're happy to pay for the ISDN line, which was quite expensive, yeah? It's a few hundred quid a, a month, yeah, for an ISDN line. We had a couple of thousand customers that had bought ISDN lines for their bedrooms <laughs> to play serious gaming. Uh, these guys were hardcore, right? Um, we, we hired a few of them oh, as yeah. mods. <laughs> And referees. Yeah, and they would happily help us run tournaments and do stuff. So that had kind of happened. So you could see the potential of going digital for the home connection, right? Dropping the analog part, getting rid of that. Um, Cable internet had started happening. That was a huge um, game changer. BT needed to get into the, into the, into the, 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 the digital connect market. You needed a decent bandwidth digital termination at home. ADSL eventually came along. Um, late nineties, ADSL started to become a thing. Um, and then very, very quickly we saw all the modem use just, just evaporate. Um, people were either just using their dial up internet to access us or they'd move to a broadband, um, type solution. Um, so that was quite a speedy transition. And again, uh, so the modems kind of disappeared and evaporated. Um, I think we gave them all to sky actually. <laughs> I can't remember. Now. Yes, yes, we did. Because the skybox is yeah, still did. dialing up, right? They haven't got in. None of the skyboxes had Ethernet on them. No, they just got a phone. Oh, in the 90s. All the old boxes had phone sockets on the back. That was it? Oh, yeah. This is like what? Yeah. Sky Plus. Yeah, yeah. The old, all all right. of the, all the yeah. vanilla boxes and some of the old Sky Plus ones. Ethernet appeared quite late on those boxes. That really only happened after broadband was well established. Um, and actually, uh, Sky doing their own broadband by then? No, probably not. Yes. Did they uh, no, they were oh, no, they, they started again. a branded version of BT's one. It was actually yeah. a BT connection with a Sky badge on it. Um, and eventually they went off and bought, um, they bought another ISP and did their own in the end. But um, yeah, so we saw that all move over. So we'd all moved over to doing um, IP-based connectivity, trying not to use TCP because, as I explained earlier, um, it, still, it still has its foibles. So we found other ways of doing that. Um, you know, it's really funny. So things like Google's Chrome browser have dropped TCP because it, it glitters and it lags and it like, mm, they don't like it. And they do a UDP version of their own th- stuff. Um, and they do, they do mm-hmm. what we were doing back in the, um, for the world of radio, which only goes one way where you have to do forward error correction because there is no return path. So if you want, if you want to get your bit rate down, you have to send more information. So rather, you, it's, it's like sending it twice. That's a crude way of doing it. What you actually do is you encode it um, with excess. Um, you add extra um, entropy to it so that if you lose a few bits, you can still work out what was missing. There are some very clever and sophisticated maths around that. Some of the modems out there used to do forward error correction, but no one ever turned it on. We worked out how that worked. <laughs> we worked out the weird AT commands to get forward error correction on your V90 modem. Brilliant. <laughs> that was one of the tricks we pulled, which made it much, um, much more yeah. stable. Anyway, yeah, we digress slightly. Where was I? I lost my train of thought there completely. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so the broadband thing happened. Yeah, so Wireplay as a, as a, as a, as a, uh, like a cost center, a profit making in the business inside of BT was was not viable anymore um, because we'd lost the phone call revenue, which is what was we were supporting. We didn't feel, or at least management didn't think that they could charge separately for it. So it was we were taking a piece of BT Internet's monthly cost pie, and they kind of thought, you know, it's not really going to. It's costing a bit more than it we're likely to be able to make from it. So they moved to some. They were they they were very much aware that we were having an awful lot of fun doing it. 
and they didn't want to just redeploy us all onto BT internet and become plebs back in the works of cogs of a large machine. Um, so what happened was Colin, bless him, contacted some of his mates in the industry, particularly Mark Strachan of Domark Software. Do you remember Domark? Publisher. Yep. No, it's before James's time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's over blind yeah, looking. No, there are some very well known games, games on floppy disks. They did. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, and they came up with a startup idea. They blended Wireplay with uh, a games shipping company up in Leeds who had just won Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, he was shipping boxed games out of a warehouse. Um, oh, wow. We, the, the idea was, we th- still think this is a good idea. The idea was to close the loop. So people bought the games from us, played the games on our services. We in-game advertised the next one. Does this sound close the loop? Does this sound familiar? Yes. Right. <laughs> own all of the business, right? Do all your own marketing, sell more of the business. Hi, Curry. So Dr. that <laughs> was the business. Hi, Curry, Dr. Oh, yeah, hello. What's the um, next step? <laughs> Start making you pay a bit grift. for it. Grifting is the next step. Yeah, yeah. Monopolizing it. Anyway, um, okay. So that's that proposal was put together um taken to potential market investors uh as a public ipo and was in the in the back end of 1999 when this was happening was very well received yeah because it Remember was all still cool internet bubble dot com yeah. boom yeah we decided we, we decided were, we, to we hop on the internet wave hard this looked like a cracking idea colin and the boys took it to the alternative investment market aam in london um I think they were after it was 10 million. 35 times, 35 times oversubscribed. Uh, they weren't after very much money to get this started because they, they, it was just like no, the, we wanted expenses for moving us out of BT's offices yeah. and doing a bit of marketing right, yeah. and basically yeah. um, paying We wanted for the 19 million. Yeah. We wanted a committed 19 million from investors. We were oversubscribed 35 times. That's They stopped it. taking wow. money when the bank had 55 million in it. They had to stop taking money. <laughs> they had to start saying no to investors. <laughs> Absolute madness. Remember, this or is splitting, 12 people. Splitting the shares. 12 developers. Yeah. And a, a small team of people answering the phone um, and 40 people in a warehouse in Leeds. Yeah. Filling boxes. Answering the phones. 50 plus million. <laughs> in the 90s in uh, like 1999 so that so that happened in our heads that became everybody after they'd recovered from the shock was mentally driving ferraris and lamborghinis everybody (laughs) right because we we all had a tiny part of the budget (laughs) mental (laughs) yeah but i take it i take it neither of you are driving ferraris because of course the bubble everyone knows how share option deals go and the dot-com beam it folded and it, it yeah it all blew up in our face obviously um, oh no! Yeah. I think only one person went out and bought the Ferrari, and then had to give it back. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one. It's who takes his share option certificate to the Ferrari garage and says, "Look, guys, can I have one on spec? <laughs> I'll drive it around town. You look great." <laughs> wow! Yeah. So yeah, that's gameplay. Um, 
which was the next phase of what happened. At that point, um, a year into that, I walked away. I think it's 18 months later. Stuart did it as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, was, uh, there was a few jump ship. Um, we had a hell of a time for about a year. But I, with these things, um, yeah, investors got a bit cold feet, started asking for um, break even in six months, not 18, um, at which point, We'd already committed, or at least uh, senior management had already committed to launching this thing Europe-wide, not just UK. Yeah, they got really ambitious. We've got the money. They went super ambitious on it. They went and bought up four other companies across Europe. There's a guy, a company in Spain, company in Germany. In one year, and then asked us, the technical team, to keep that together, please. Yeah, no. <laughs> Remember these kind of like fly by night running a few Quake servers on the on the back of an ISP stuff. They brought up some guys that were doing that basically and said, "Can we just use your platform as well as part of this service?" So that's where it was going. Um, it might have worked. Who knows? It could have been a fantastic business. It could still even be there now, but it blew up um, six, month, most, six months. Six months in it tank. Cold feet. The dot com <laughs> bubble burst. Everyone wanted their money out again. And it wasn't going to, the business was not going to make enough soon enough um, because we'd overcommitted. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a shame, really. The, that's what folded um, before everybody's stock options vested, obviously. Or, you know, I wouldn't have carried on working at that point, right? <laughs> there wouldn't be much. Yeah, no, yeah. Work? We don't do work. <laughs> no, no, we do. We do charity service now, which is technically actually I do, but mostly, anyway. So, there we go. Potted history of Wildplay and some random histrionics around. So, that was how it ended for us. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was the most fun I've had in a day job for a long time. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> now you you both have since because uh, another article you linked to. I'll make sure it's in. I think it's. Did I put it in here? Yes, I did. You've donated a load of your right, your yes. memories to to now. That's a, um, I've forgotten because I misread. It is uh, the Museum of Computing History to. at Cambridge. Yeah. Ah, yes, indeed. Which I really need to make a trip to at yeah, some point. Yeah, I mean, there's a train station uh, right next well. door. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's not too bad. It's uh, For me, it would be going up to London and then ju- at Waterloo just going to Cambridge. Yeah, it wouldn't actually be too hard, to be fair. So, <laughs> Give him a visit. There yeah, we go. It's really cool. I will. Yeah, so we. I, I gave him a ring. Let me just quickly. I gave him a ring and said, hey, I'm lead architect of wireplay back in the 90s i've got a box of crud um i've also got a whole load of old pc hardware and you do you want some spares uh, and they said yes to all of that um please at which point i poked stuart and said have you got any stuff as well and he had a rummage in the loft what did you find uh so i found an unopened um original release of the first wireplay um issue that went out um i've got a trial pack that was sent to a couple of hundred test people as a, as a pre-launch um, that came in its own like little branded plastic case and stuff. Yeah. Just some memorabilia bits and pieces that stuff, but um, not used cause I didn't need it. Right. It's like the, it, they sent it to me as, as to have a look at it and go, oh, I thought that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, never actually opened it, put it in the loft, never touched it again. Um, so yeah, it was nice to dig that stuff out. Yeah, so rather than have it mouldering in our garages, we thought, I wonder if the museum is interested, and they were. Um, so we gathered it all together and took it up there, and there's a nice picture of us signing it over <laughs> on my blog. I have no idea if they've turned it into an exhibit yet or just incorporated it anywhere. I have not been back to find out. But, yeah, it'd be, well, there you go, folks. If you are visiting the um, 
Oh my god! Museum of Computing History. There you go. Museum. <laughs> see, this is yeah. The Museum of Computing. If you're visiting and you see wire pl- uh, an exhibit about wire play, thanks to these guys. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a now, whole bunch of other very very um, cool people that were involved in getting this working. Um, yes, obviously. I try and name drop as many as I can on my blog. Actually, um, all those that wanted to be named, some people wanted to remain anonymous, so we've used their gaming handles, uh, which is fine. Other people just didn't want to be mentioned as being involved with it at all. Um, I mean, I, I you know, as long as you give them the choice, it's all good. Absolutely, uh, and we will link, of course, to. So we've got, uh, we've got basically, we've got the blog, uh, the blog, which is um, Phil's basically creating the first online gaming platform, which is a fantastic read. Now you do kind of, hopefully, from this episode, you've got an idea of what Wireplay was, but we've also got the original article, thanks to um, Archive.org. Yes. We've got the original article from BT from 2018, which was really interesting to read. I'm going to have to dig through... Do you know what? I'm going to have to dig through some of my old stuff here at my parents. I have a feeling somewhere around here is some of the original Steam... Well, the CD versions of Half-Life or the Half-Life games that have the Wireplay well logo. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can find any, yeah, I will. Quite, yeah, find, us, find us a box. I will definitely <laughs> find you. I bet you anything, by the way. If you, I, if I, I will, I, logo I, on, reach out to Neil. Um, so, the Flight Sim EF2000, that's, that's logoed. Oh, yeah. And DID yeah. software. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Might be before you I time. bet you anything, <laughs> Neil, at the cave. Sorry. Stupid likes, terrible. I bet you anything, Neil at the cave will have Y play logos oh, yeah. up yin yang as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's I keep trying to find stuff on YouTube, um, or anything from there's there is one clip, um, that was from the Australia launch. Yeah, we did a deal with oh, Telstra yes. who replicated it. Oh, wow, and launched and did a, a game party thing as a, as a launch event for that. So that clip is on YouTube, and I think Colin's in that. Yes, he is. He went I there. Remember, uh, uh, yeah, but it's really None of grainy. None got tickets to us. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's a really grainy, horrible VHS um, copy, um, but you can see just how mad it is. <laughs> it's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, if we can find that, I'll put that in the show notes, folks. So I'll start in reverse order. To, to Thank you both for your time. Obviously, we sat here and had a really good night. Is it, I mean, for you both, is there anything you, you, know, you want to promote, anything that you're doing at the moment that's kind of cool and you want people to know about? Uh, Phil, I'll let you, you go first. <laughs> okay. I would like to raise the profile of community transport services because um, a lot of people I speak to don't know they exist. They're stuck at home. They might be, you know, in need of a walking frame or something uh, and they don't realise they can get out. You can get out. The whole country is covered by volunteer or commercial oh, wow. com- community transport services. Um, yeah. Find your local one through your council. Fantastic. Okay. No, that's a really good thing because not everyone can drive. Yeah. I can't. And I, I, I mean, I'm not stuck at home, but I rely on public transport, which is, well, let, let's not comment on the state of the railways. That could be a whole different episode. Yeah, um, yeah so can we... Yeah, so go on. Go on. Oh, sorry. So only a bit. It was a community transport explicitly focus on people who have uh, mobility issues, like they're in a wheelchair. They'll all have wheelchair lifts on the vehicles and things. So if you think you can't move around, you probably can. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And uh, what about yourself, Stuart? Um, to be honest, it was a similar thing. So I do a whole bunch of, of crazy stuff. Um, well, not crazy stuff. So um, what am I doing? So I'm Cub Scout leader. So... 
Um, people trust me with their children to go camping and stuff. Um, I mean, just look at the beard. Now, apparently they don't. Um, <laughs> so that's great fun. I love doing it. Um, I do a similar thing to Phil, but I'm a um, volunteer driver um, taking people to appointments and whatnot. I think my, it's, it's more of a broader um, appeal, um, which is that there's lots of really sort of fulfilling and useful things you can go out and do and help in your community, make a little bit of time for it. Yeah, the rewards are so much worth it. It really is a great thing to go and do. Just give a little bit of time, a little bit of help here and there. Because the biggest struggle with running any of these organizations is getting adults to come and help. Yeah, always. So get out there. Have some fun. There's more to life than a nine-to-five job. Or in our, or in our case, a nine-to-about-two-in-the-morning job. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. You did. yeah. <laughs> Only half of that is refereeing quake matches, honestly. <laughs> Only half, only half, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you both so much. No, I am absolutely echo that. If you have the opportunity to volunteer in your local community and do something to help other people, this world is not exactly always the nicest place. Let's try and be a bit yeah. nicer to each other, absolutely. right? And um, maybe not frag each other in yeah, quake safe. matches. Oh, no, go get, get the violence out of your system. Online games. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And if you want to play online games, do come and join our Discord community. Um, basically, if you want to play Minecraft with us, come and join the Discord. We, if you, we don't already know you, we want to get to know you a little bit, and then you can come and join Minecraft because we don't want you blowing up everything uh, five seconds after you get into <laughs> the uh, into the world. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the problem. So we did a charity stream, um, and one of the incentives, no one actually, unfortunately, no one donated enough for oh, it to man. be used. But we said we for every this amount of donation we will get one we will spawn a block of tnt and do the whole yeah. you know code zero 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 do the whole kirk blowing up yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we never got to and do it mind. so all good fun anyway we will vote thank you both for, for i cannot speak today thank you both phil and stuart for being here we will speak to you soon folks and i'll roll that outro Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams if you like what you heard please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice it really does help spread the word about the show and of course if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support we'd be incredibly grateful you can support us at ko-fi.com slash crossed wires that is ko-fi.com slash crossed wires until next time thanks for listening